you ever felt. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. And so when people started finding, they were like commenting. So it like gets like a life of its own yeah. again. And uh, this guy's just like, everybody has like all these great things to say about what I, f- I forget the real was, but he's just like, yeah, but this asshole's wearing a hat inside <laughs> or a beanie. Yeah. <laughs> so I commented on there. I was like, oh, the funny thing was, was it was probably a hundred degrees outside. And I was just, so I found this beanie specifically for that gentleman. That's- and I was like, this is the most absurd beanie I could find at Walmart today. <laughs> so I'm like fucking wearing it for this podcast. I uh, love that. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah, sure. It was a good time, but um, no, I'm so glad to, Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Siggins, uh, back on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I was excited to see, and I want to know more, um, this, the book, yeah. the book launch. Yep. That's a big deal. And so I saw that and I was like, oh God, like she didn't have enough already on her plate. Let's just add a book on top of it and then a book tour. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know, what is she doing? So what, what sparked the book? I don't think we, I, I mean, you, did, you probably were working on it. I was working on it yeah. when I was here last. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, I've always wanted to write a book. I'm a writer at heart, and I started blogging in 2015 knowing that I wanted to write a book someday, so I thought, well, I better practice since all I write are emails. Yeah. <laughs> so I started my blog and in October of 2015, and then I started writing. Then I got picked up for publications, and so just kind of my name got out there more and more, and I started writing more and more, and saying, oh, huh, people – are interested in what I have to say and I can maybe help people be better leaders or think about self-leadership. And and so when the pandemic hit, I thought, this is it. I'm not traveling. I mean, I travel so, so much. And so when, you know, no air travel and life changed, I thought that was the perfect time to write it. So so, it. so it took you a couple of years then to write it? It took me it. about two and a half years to get it through the whole entire process. Gotcha. Yeah. I went, I joined a writing cohort, uh, which created accountability for me, which okay. was nice. So we would meet every other week and uh, we made a commitment to each other about how, how much we would write. And gotcha. so I made a commitment of 2,500 words for uh, every two weeks. And okay. I, Is that like a coach, like while you're writing? Yeah. Like you kind of, they're, they're there with you to sort of make sure that you're making some type of momentum with the book? Is so it- what she did was, uh, so it was a writing coach. She's also a writer. Uh, she created a cohort. I think there were five of us in it. And she didn't coach us specifically, a little bit of coaching. Um, it was more about accountability. And then we would come and talk to her about our problems as a group, and we would learn from each other. Like so it was problems, kind of, problems with the process? Yeah, with about, the process. Okay. Or, hey, I'm really struggling. I have writer's block. You know, We were all in different phases of the book. So there was an um, opportunity for us to learn from each other, but we would talk about any of the difficulties we were having. And it could be a wide range of things of I'm struggling, you know, picking up my title or I have blo- uh, writer's block or I'm really need to help fleshing out this idea. And so we would all help each other and she would give us advice. And then we were also supposed to come and, you know, say, did we keep our commitment to whatever we had agreed on the previous week? So it helped me because I hate showing up for things <laughs> and not doing what I say I'm going to do. And so I decided that uh, that it was going to be very helpful for me to have that commitment. And, uh, and so that, that's really what, what helped me get the book done. I learned a lot about, uh, my writing in the process. I'm not a person who can sit down and write a couple hundred words. Uh, it takes me a little while to get warmed up. And so I would have to, I actually wrote my book on the weekends because I needed three or four 
five hours to really write the way and get into the flow, mm-hmm. write the way I wanted to. And so I, I skipped a lot of ski season <laughs> because I uh, wanted to, to get the book done and I needed uh, big chunks of time and there's no way I could do that while running Stone Age and, yeah. and all that during the week. So so yeah, it was I was a weekend book warrior. <laughs> so what uh what is the book? I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't picked up a copy and I apologize. I probably should have read I it. I meant actually this, but... I was driving here and I was like, oh, I, I meant to bring you a copy. <laughs> okay. I will send you a no copy. Worries. No worries. <laughs> uh I mean, so what is it, you know, does it kind of encompass like the story that we talked about the first it time does. you were on here? Like a a little bit of that sort of gets somebody caught up to speed or is inspirational? Uh, what's it's the... part memoir, part leadership book, part how to build a great culture. Okay. And so, yes, I share my story of, of hitting rock bottom and moving to Durango and the founders taking this huge risk and hiring me when I was 28 to take over their company. Uh, it talks a little bit about employee ownership because Stone Age is an employee-owned company, uh, and and what that means. Um, it, it's not a book about. Uh, it's not a technical book, but I did share some of it because it is an important part of who we are. And then uh, and then I talk a lot about self leadership. So there's a whole part on self leadership. The second part is on self. The first part is like an introduction, like you know, who am I? What is Stone Age? Different kind of company. And then part two is self leadership: how you lead yourself well uh, through ownership mindset. There personal responsibility. And then the second, the third part is about how do you lead others and help them embrace, embody a ownership mindset as well. So, uh, and I share a lot of stories. I'm a storyteller. And so I share stories about things I've learned and mistakes I've made trying to give real examples so people can walk away going, okay, I can implement this. So really, I mean, I've had a lot of people who have reached out to me and said, it's so great because I know that there's going to be a chapter in here with something that I'm about something that I'm struggling with. So they can go to that particular chapter, like, okay, I just got some tough feedback. How do I take it like a champ? Uh, and so they can go to my book and and get tips on actionable items on how to to be able to process or deal with something, handle an employee issue. So it truly is a handbook. It's called the Ownership Mindset Handbook for Transforming Your Life and Leadership. And it was meant to be a a actionable book that someone can can use in their leadership journey. Did you uh, in writing it? Because I've often like the, it's weird. This the, not, during the moments of a podcast, like you're you're in the moment, you're you're just in flow state or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so you kind of just have this conversation. But when you if you get the opportunity to go back and edit it, you sort of have to sit there and listen, and mm-hmm. unfortunately hear your own self talk at times. <laughs> Um, but then every once in a while, like something will spark and you'll like sit there and have to ponder on that for a second. Like, why did you say that when this question was asked or, you know, and, and you almost like start to, you learn more about yourself and then it's almost like this self-reflective thing for a second and you start to process that and then little, you know, microscopic changes like happen over time. So I'm curious, like when you were writing the book, if, I mean, cause I imagine the version of the book that we see isn't all that you wrote. I mean, there's probably things that you wrote and you hated it or you reviewed it or changed it. Um, But I mean, did you kind of grow yourself, you know, out of the process of writing this book? If that makes sense. So much. So much. I I learned so much about myself through this process. Uh, writing a book is one of the most vulnerable things you can do, especially when you do tell a lot of personal stories. And so it helped me really refine my voice. Uh, my my whole value system is based around transparency, authenticity, keeping it real, 
not being afraid to share my flaws about learn what I've learned about myself through exploring my flaws. Mm-hmm. And when you write about it and and you want to write about it in a way that compels people to take action or to look at themselves, you you have to you have to really trust yourself, examine yourself, and also give yourself a lot of feedback of like, ooh, you know, this story might not really fit or this story might not, it might be too much for what you're trying to say here, or you need to actually go a little bit deeper and be more vulnerable here. So uh, so that was a really good process that I went through as I was writing the book. The toughest thing that I did while uh, doing it was actually narrating it for my audiobook. Oh, you narrated it yourself? I did. And so yeah, I a lot imagine that'd be hard. <laughs> a lot of what you said when you listen to yourself talk and of course I I have a podcast too and edit my my podcasts and and do the same thing like oh, that was dumb or why did I say that or wow, like that was that was really good. Where did that come from? <laughs> was that me? Uh, and so I go through a lot of that when I'm when I'm editing my podcast and 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 watching how I interact with guests and, and I've learned a lot about that. But reading it is is very a very interesting process because I don't want people to be bored when they read my book. And I don't know if you listen to audiobooks, mm. but if, almost only anymore. It's yeah. so hard to sit and read. So and if you have a bad narrator, it makes even a good book like oh, I don't want to read oh, this. Yeah. Uh, or listen to it. My husband says that listening to audiobooks isn't reading, and I argue with him. Uh, fine, I say consuming <laughs> books then. Uh, but I really wanted to make sure that I I had clear pronunciation, that I hit the proper inflection points in a sentence. And so I co- you have to concentrate so hard on reading the book in a way that our people are going to want to listen. And I found so many things about the book that I wanted to change, even though I've read it. I probably have read it a dozen times, but narrating it out loud very carefully and with so much intentionality so that people will enjoy it when you when they are listening to it. Whew. Yeah, I can imagine. It was brutal. <laughs> I can imagine. It was so brutal. Uh, especially so. like you say, like if there's parts you're like, oh. Yeah. It's already printed. Like we can't, you know. <laughs> oh, I have lots of notes. So if I'm fixing things for the second run, which I'm about ready to do. Yeah. And uh, I worked with a a, a a group who does audiobooks exclusively. Uh, they're out of the UK. And because I have my own podcasting studio, you know, I was all set up to be able to do it on my own, uh, which made it, that made it a lot easier than having to have somebody coach me through it or walk me through it or have to figure out how to get equipment and, and do it properly. But I would say, you know, I got to know him over time as we were sending um, uh, audio files back and forth. And then I would screw up like 15 times in a row. And I'm like, Rory, I am so sorry. I hate the way I wrote that. I'm just going to figure out how to say it different in the audiobook. And so that's another thing that I had to get comfortable with. Like when I first started reading the first few chapters, I wanted to get everything exactly how I wrote it. And then I realized, most people are, who are going to listen to it aren't going to read it. And if they do, they're not going to remember those details. And this is my chance to kind of fix some of the clunky mm-hmm. sentences in the book or maybe even tell another story or update it because, you know, I started the book, like some of the things are outdated now that, you know, it's 2023 and I started this in 2020. Sure. So I, I use that as an opportunity to actually like update what had maybe if something wasn't um, accurate anymore or if something had changed mm-hmm. in, in the book. So... Uh, then I got more comfortable being a little bit more fluid as I read it. 
Anyway, it's a fascinating process to yeah, – so sorry for boring everybody <laughs> out there who's like, I will never write a book or narrate my own book. But, uh, man, it was – I learned a lot about myself as I had to read it with so much intentionality out loud. I, think, I mean, that, like, just going back to it, I think that that would be the biggest part for me. Like, I'm trying to put myself into your shoes. Like, if I were to write a book and have to be, you know, openly vulnerable, and then, you know, it, there's a difference. When you write it, it, it cements itself in your brain and, and sometimes like even in your emotions way differently than if we're just talking about Great. it. And then when you go back and listen to it again, it's like, I would just think for me, it would, it would be a very difficult process. So I'm always, I'm always so intrigued with somebody that does write a book, um, especially if it has like a little, you know, if it's, if it's telling your story, you might've said it a thousand times, but again, you're writing it's it, now writing. you're recording it and it's like, oh, totally. You know, to, I, I went, the day that it launched, the day before it launched, I had a big uh, launch event at Seasons in Durango, and uh, it was on, on October 16th. And I started to get imposter syndrome and like freak out a little bit because, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. Yeah. And my whole story's out there. And of course, the Durango Herald puts it, they, they did this awesome article, and it was very, very grateful that they supported me in my book launch. Uh, and, but of course, they, say like in the first sentence, like, you know, Carrie Siggins, you know, used to do as much cocaine as a 200 pound man. And I was like, oh my God, really? You Of yeah. all the things in the book, like that's what you have to put in. And of course they want people to read the article. And so sure. when somebody say, sees cocaine, they're most likely going to read the article. But so I had that on the day of the launch with, um, with just this over, this feeling of overwhelm of this is real. Like my book is out there forever. And what if it's terrible? What if nobody wants to read it? What if it completely flops? Do I even deserve to have a book out there? Like, who who am I to think that I could write a book and have anybody care? All of those thoughts went through my head on that day. And I've worked so much on imposter syndrome over the last two decades that um, it was really humbling to have it rear its ugly head so viscerally on the day of launch. Um, that was an incredibly vulnerable week for me, that that week of my book launch, because um, I had some amazing book launch events. I had some ones that were flops, uh, and, I, and you know, I toured the state. And so I learned a lot about, about you know, how do you market a book and talk about your book and talk about yourself. And uh, so, yeah, it was... It was quite the process. I was exhausted yeah, when I got imagine. home. Are you, so are you still actively touring the book? Like, is it, or is that launch period kind of subsided at this yeah, point? Yeah, the launch period has subsided, and yeah. now it's just I'm doing a ton of podcasts. I'm doing a lot of speaking events around it. Um, a couple of people have asked me to, like, come in and teach, uh, like, a, a little bit of a course around it, mm -hmm. like a workshop around it, um, which I don't have a ton of time to do that. My number one priority and, well— my top two priorities are being a great mom and and running Stone Age. So I have to be really careful about how much I take on. I mean, my book could definitely take over my life. So um, so I, I make sure that any event that I do is really in alignment with my values and in alignment with with what the book has to offer. Uh, and to that makes that way it's it's a good use of of my time. And that if I am going to not be at Stone Age leading my company that it's for really good reason that's advancing this whole idea of the ownership mindset and employee ownership and culture building with people who are going to go implement it, who really care about making a difference. That's awesome. Have you, uh, <laughs> that, 
imposter syndrome rearing its ugly head is uh, so perfect. I mean, I put something up on Facebook the other day and it was, you know, it was really well received, which was great or Instagram or something, but it was about that. It was, you know, titled battling imposter syndrome. And it was funny because this morning I had a really, it was an important meeting. It's not overly important. Like it won't make or break my career or it won't really hurt my life if I don't get it. But it was one of those like, um, God, just like, a dream, dream thing. Like, man, if this could just happen, like it would, oh, it would be so great. And I'm sitting there having a great conversation and out of nowhere, like I can feel like the anxiety starting yeah. like at my heels. Yeah. And I just, I kind of caught myself like outside of it. Cause you know, my partner is talking to these, these, um, these folks and I'm listening and I had already kind of given my spiel that I had went over a thousand times in my head. And it was like, what are you doing? Like you have no business sitting at this table. Like, what are you doing? And it was like, I had to kind of like grab my cup of coffee and like, just take a big sip and sort of like look out. I can see parents speak and I'm like, okay. Refocus. You have the right to be here. Like, you know, just get over it. But it's so, it's, it's really strange. I mean, you've been working on it for two decades and we talked about that in the first episode and, and I'll get into it in a little bit, but your episode for me in the weirdest way was, um, when you first came on the show, we said some things, and I, I don't want to go into them in detail, but the it it led me down this monster spiral, both good and bad. Ultimately, at the very end of it, it, it turned out so amazing. But that was when I really started kind of listening to that inner voice that was like, what are you doing? What's going on here? And it took a couple of more months after that, but it was like a trigger of something. And then it was like, okay, you got to work on your headspace first and foremost, man, like you're a total wreck. What, what's the, what's the common denominator here? And it was like health and wellness. You got to get your body going right. And then the head's going to follow you, but you have to work on those things, everything else, you know, and it was a weird deal, but it's like every once in a while, that little imposter syndrome for me, like this, it doesn't matter this, you know, I had a guest on and like, I couldn't even hardly talk and I can talk to anybody. I don't care. Like that doesn't bother me, but I just, I couldn't even find the words. I was like, Oh my God. And I happened to be sitting on this guy's back porch. And it was like, again, anxiety. And I'm like, well, who? he's the nicest person in the world. You just had a conversation off camera with him. Like, what are you doing? You know, and so, but that's so funny that you had that at your book launch because it just crept up out of nowhere this morning. And I had already already (laughs) said my spiel. I I nailed it. I'm like, we got this this in the bag. And my buddy starts talking, my partner starts talking. And it's like, well, what just happened? Oh my God. So it's it's crazy how that stuff, we, we do work on it so much and yep. so often and it has to be continual but then all of a sudden it'll still you know i i kind of think it would have to be akin to like some type of training you know it's like if, if you're like an er yeah. person or it's something you know it's like if you if you don't practice the skills all the time and it shows up and you expect to just be able to jump back into the fray and and do what you did 10 years ago it's like no it, it has to be continual because those things are gonna they're gonna come up in life totally at some point in time you know well and i think that the trick is is that um, the only way to get good at doing hard things is to do hard things. And so that's how you beat imposter syndrome is, is you take action and everybody has self-doubt. Like, I'm really glad that you said that you have imposter syndrome sometimes, because I think so many people think that it's a woman issue and it isn't, it's a human being issue where we really, when, that, when we let that self-doubt creep in, we start to think that we don't deserve to be at the table or we don't deserve what we have. And, and the only way that I've learned, at least, to get through it is by taking action. 
And that's how you build your your competency zone, right? Is to get outside of your comfort zone. And that's what imposter syndrome is doing, right? It's fear telling you, hold back. Don't do that. You're going to fail. You don't deserve to be here. And the only way to push through it is to take action. And so the more you take action, the more comfortable you get with being in uncomfortable situations. And so I think that over the years, I've put myself into so many uncomfortable situations that I've gotten used to being able to work through, you know, the fear that I might have or self-doubt that I might have um, in that moment. But when, like for me, the book was such a big deal and it is very vulnerable. I mean, I share a lot of stories in there of failure um, that would probably, like, I can't imagine many CEOs like talking about failure as much as I talk about in the book because it's such a good way to learn a lesson. Uh, and so I think that that all of that practice that I had done over over these last two decades of, of working on myself and and building building up my self-confidence and doing hard things helped me be able to say, oh, stop it. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. You know, and even if nobody likes the book, what does it matter? Like, you didn't write this for everybody else. You wrote this for you, where you wrote this because it was a goal that you had because you know even if it if it if it makes an impact on one person's life then you hit you re, you achieved what you wanted to achieve so what i've learned is that you take action but in those moments when you can turn it into not being about yourself and about somebody else it helps you so much so that's what i said if even if nobody reads it if i get a bunch of shitty reviews on amazon uh, if it changes one person's life, if it destigmatizes substance abuse for one person, if it makes one person say, oh, I can be a better leader or I can take accountability in my life and it changes their lives, then that is worth it all. And that's what got me through it. So then all of a sudden I wasn't focused on myself. Yeah. <laughs> I was now focused on this bigger purpose for the book. Sure. And then, you know what, if I just take action, just go to Seasons and have the book launch event and go do this week and you're going to learn something from it and you're going to meet great people and hopefully make this impact. And, and that's how I got through it. So I think those are the ways that that you work through it. But sometimes it is going to rear its head and then you're, you have to say, okay, action. And how do I not make this about myself? You, when you, we first talked, um, you know, obviously you, you have a huge backstory and, and unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. The Herald, you know, printed like it's all good. You know, I mean, it's in my book, so, <laughs> so it's all yeah. good. Like you know, but yeah. yes. <laughs> but so, so when when I, you know, a lot of things that I've listened to with you, and even in town, like people have heard it, like you know, business leaders that have watched your speeches, and it's not something you shy away. Um, but when you when you first came back here and you got all these opportunities, as we kind of talked in the past, it's like it's like you had these these kind of like demons, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just for lack yeah. of better terms. Um, but you took ownership and not being afraid to say that you had those demons. Yeah. So for me, I've, I've done a similar thing where like some of my, what I perceive as like past flaws or my demons or something that I'm hiding or that I'm at my core, I'm not embarrassed about it, but it's like, it's, it's sometimes it feels like, man, I wish I wasn't defined by that. Right. Um, but when I grabbed the hold of it and I'm like, you know, that, that portion of that part of my life is what made me the person that you see today. I took ownership in it, but then it's like at a certain level, you kind of like grab a hold of this thing and you bring it along with you. And then you get down the road and you're like, okay, but I, I am also more than that. And yes. I'm fine with having this baggage and being open and vulnerable about this baggage. But at some point in time, want the world not to always know me 
you know, for me, it's like the bankruptcy guy. For yeah. you, it's, yeah. you know, whatever. Substance abuse, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, so now that you've written the book and you've kind of cemented those stories, you know, in a tangible manner, like you've talked about it on podcast and talked about it to me and I've, I've read it, you know, written in, in, you know, amazing articles. And, but at a certain point, where does Carrie go from that? Like that has to stop. Like there's another version of it. Totally. Like beyond carrying that baggage, right? And it's, it, I don't, I know, I know that it's helped define you, but that's, it's interesting that you say that the imposter syndrome comes back, right? Because like, I'm just trying to say, for me, I have those things that I, I talk about. I'm open to talk about them with people, but in certain moments, I want to no longer talk about it. And when people start to talk about it, and I'm in that headspace of like, I want to move forward, but you keep taking me back to this baggage that I'm sometimes trying to just get rid of, it makes me go back to feeling like an imposter. Like, fuck, I'm only Mm -hmm. defined by that thing. Like, you're not a cokehead. You're not, you know what I mean? You're you're okay with talking about it. We could talk for an hour about it. But it's like at some point, where, where does Carrie sever that again and go, I'm this next version of who I am and this next chapter of life. I love that you asked this question. It's a brilliant question. And how I have gotten past that is that I don't care if that's how somebody sees me. Right? I, other people's opinions of me are not my business. And let me tell you, that is a very, very, very hard statement to make. And it's not always easy to live. But people are always going to hold you back. I mean, I get asked all the time, you know, do you feel like you were ever held back because you were women in a male-dominated industry, right? I mean, I'm, I'm confident that there are a lot of people who judge my past drug use. My dad still does. I mean, my dad literally said he's not going to read the book because he can't be- he could, couldn't can't believe that I had substance abuse issues, right? It makes him feel shame. And I've really had to work through that. Like, that's that's him. That's not me. Those people who want to say, hey, this is what we want to, I want to talk about. That's on them. That's not me. I am a completely different version of, of Carrie than what I was back then. And so, but I can't control what people are going to want to talk about or what they think about me. All I can do is show up and be the very best version of myself to try to bring joy and gratitude into the world, to try to build a company where people get to build better lives for themselves. They have purpose and meaning in their work and then put shine light on things that are really important to me, employee ownership and culture building and destigmatizing substance abuse. Like I, I love it when people come up and tell me I had similar, I had similar problems and your story has made me feel so much better about forgiving myself for it. And so I, when people try to bring me back into some of those things and they do, you know, I just remember that that's about them. And this whole new version of me, that's the life that I'm building for myself, for impact, for for creating happiness in my life. And for those people who want to to pull me back, like that's that's them. And I'm not going to let that happen. And so I think that that's a, a really powerful way to look at it because I used to be worried I mean, we talked about this on the show, right? I was always worried about what people thought of me. It's what led me to a lot of my issues combined with with childhood trauma and and various other things, my personality. Um, But I've really tried to just let all that go and just say, 
I'm living my life for me. Mm-hmm. And and that's them. And if they want to see me as, you know, some former cokehead, then they can see me as that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I know for a fact I'm not that. And I'm not going to take their version of me personally. And that is a lot of work to do, a lot of really self-work to get comfortable with who you with your past and letting it understanding that it certainly defines or it certainly got you to where you are, but it doesn't have to define you. And and not not being upset when somebody wants to pull you back in there because that's them. That's not you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it's just such a weird and I, and I'm still I'm still, you know, battling the demons, yeah. so to speak. You know, I'm doing much better, um, I, I think personally. Uh, but it's uh it's just, you know, it's it's just such a weird deal. Like I, it was funny, I was talking to uh, John Wells the other day and um we were having like a year end review and uh he we're talking about something and I just brought it up. I was like, you know, I wanna start being like my real self. Yeah. And he's like, What do you mean? And I was like, Well, I just it's like, I, I am the same kid that did this when he was 18 years old, you know, idiotic or not, it is part of me. And all that, all those layers, all those hardships, all those, everything is, is, is me now. But I, I kind of feel like sometimes like I've got to hide that in this weird thing. And, and, you know, John is, is not a, you know, young chicken, like he's been around the block and for, and he also has a certain clientele that's may perceive tattoos or whatever as a, as you know, a negative, uh-huh. you know, he could immediately think, Oh, this kid is, you know, not intelligent or whatever the case. And he like, stopped me. He's like, just look, here's the deal. He's like, you just have to do you and don't worry about the tattoo thing. If that's what you're getting at. He's like, it's getting more accepted for sure. But he's like, at the end of the day, he's like, you know, you, you're savvy enough with what you want to do. You're intelligent enough with contract law. You're a great agent. You're this, you're that you're, you will adapt to whatever the environment is. So he's like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Like if that person doesn't want to work with you or judge you, then you don't want to work with them. And sometimes it's weird. It's like, I don't overly need to ever hear anything back from somebody. I kind of, you know, it's, it's not my MO. I don't need a compliment. I don't need a pat on the back. I can kind of just do my own thing. But sometimes when you hear it from somebody who you, you revere in a certain mm-hmm. position, right, or is very well respected and they say something to you, it just like flips the light switch. Like, yeah, man, like stop. Like you've been, you've created this baggage. You, you, you were fine at 18 when you got the tattoos because that lifestyle at that time frame, whether it was, you know, drugs and partying and having a great day, it worked perfect. Yeah. You were the life of the party. But when you had children, all of a sudden you have to be a father. Now you're ashamed of what you do or you're trying to be this different version and you're lying to yourself internally in this weird way of like, you know, you're trying to prove to the world that you're not that. But the reality of it is, is you are that and you are this. And those things combined is what makes you. And you have to stop feeling ashamed of any of that. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you were an absolute shithead. You're not that now, but being that has molded you into where you are. And so it was, it was so great to kind of hear yeah. him just say, stop, man, stop. Totally. Like, just move forward and do your thing. Yeah. Like, if you want to be at every meeting and show your tattoos, then do it. own it. Totally. And own it. Totally. And so I'm like. I just read an article. Um, it was a, a end-of-life psychologist, and she said the number one thing, the number one regret that she hears most often when people die or on their deathbed is that I live my life too much for other people. And so as I listen to you tell this story, 
Um, I can completely empathize because I understand those feelings. Um, but, you know, you have to forgive yourself. Like, people ask me, I, someone asked me this the other day. Uh, it was in a YPO meeting, YPO's Young Presidents Organization, huge network of, of CEOs under 50 globally. I think there's some who are over 50, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> and I was in this, what we call forum, and one of the questions was, if there was one day in your life that you could do over, what would it be? So people were going around the room and talking and telling their story. And I said, my answer is going to be really lame. I'm going to say none. <laughs> none. Because every single day has got me to where I am today. And even though I have regrets and, and that I wish I wouldn't have done certain things, having wishing that I would have done it differently would have changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I am living my very best life now. And so afterwards, a good friend of mine said, uh, who's in the forum, he said, I can't believe you didn't say the day that you overdosed. And I was like, well, why would I say that? That was the best, that was the day that changed my life. It was a huge inflection point in my life, even though it was so shitty. I mean, it was horrible and all the things leading up to it, horrible. And, but I've had to really work on forgiving myself and loving myself, not in spite of it, but because of it. Like you are put on this earth to make mistakes and learn from them. And even if they're really bad mistakes that bring you shame, you have to learn how to forgive yourself so that you can have a quality of life that doesn't make you go, what if people don't like my tattoos? What if people are continuing to judge me because I had this big bankruptcy and I hurt people? Like, that is what being a human being is. <laughs> and so I think when you learn to embrace that and you you it has you have to start with loving yourself and forgiving yourself and just saying, I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned. And yes, I can feel bad about it. I can have remorse. I am not going to say that I wish I would have changed it. And I'm not going to feel shame over it anymore because shame keeps you in that box. Shame makes you feel like you want to cover your tattoos. Shame makes you feel like when people bring that up, um, it just pulls me back into that spiral. Yeah. And so that that is my, you know, that that's the work that I've done to be able to get here. And anybody who wants to say bad things about me, um, and and people do, and people do about you. They do about everybody. Nobody sure. wants to let people evolve and change, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. You made these mistakes before, and sure. you're that person forever. Well, yeah. nobody is because we all make mistakes and we all evolve. But if you do things for people or because of people, because they're trying to say, well you are still that person, mm -hmm. you're going to not live nearly as a fulfilling life. Yeah. Do not live your life for other people. Live your life for yourself. And people, that may sound selfish, but it's not. It's when you give your biggest gift to the world, when you are happy, when you are fulfilled, when you're filled with joy, that is the gift that you give to the world. Yeah. And so you've got to work on yourself and you've got to say, I have to live my life for me so that I can be the best version of myself. If you're constantly trying to change who you are for other people or living in the past, you cannot be as joyful in the future. Mm -hmm. And joy is what this world needs. Authenticity is what this world needs. Kindness, self-love, love for others is what this world needs. And you can't do that if you do not forgive yourself, if you do not do that work and say, it does not matter what people think of me. What matters is what I think of me. Yeah. What matters is that I love me. What matters is that I forgive myself for those horrible mistakes that I made in my life and use them to propel me forward because there's gifts 
in every single one of them. One thing that I've seen or felt lately is that, you know, especially like with, with working out again and losing 35 pounds and kind of like just trying to become a better physical and mental version of myself is that I can genuinely be happy for somebody else that before I was like, there was a slight part of me that was jaded at the world or something, or it like made it to where it wasn't envy, but it was like, I wasn't happy for them. I was like, it was like almost like I was, I wasn't happy. So I couldn't be happy for somebody else's, like somebody, especially somebody else's successes. Right. Mm -hmm. And then even if you, you know, you're, you're not making as much money to them or whatever you, I just wasn't like, I wasn't there for them, like in their corner. I wasn't like truly happy. I could fake through it and be like, oh, that's awesome. As soon as I turned the corner, I was like, fuck that. Yeah. You weren't feeling it it really. Yeah. It was just like, I I don't know, but like once I kind of like started to really work on getting into the, the, my mind and being like, what's wrong? And, you know, like the sauna, the cold pleasure, that stuff like really helps me work through these problems and, and really just sort of self-reflect and like, what is wrong with your ticker? What's going on up here? Why are you feeling like this? You shouldn't feel like that. And there was those moments where like somebody, you know, really close friend had like a, a win and it was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Like I, I I wrote them, you know, cause we, we don't talk all the time, but you know, like sent him a message and I was like, I am so proud of you. Like, holy shit. Like, Hey, I didn't have any like knowledge that you were even doing this, but like, this is badass, man. Like, congratulations, seriously. Like congrats to you and your wife. And it's, it it felt like genuine joy of like, I can be happy for somebody else. Like, fuck man. Like, stop, stop with the, like, you have your deal. You can work on that. But I like six months ago, I couldn't let myself get there. You know, I mean, I couldn't, like, I would see some reels like if you had a reel that you put up, and I'm not saying I saw your reel, but I would see if I saw something and it was like of a, especially like a fellow podcast, like, uh, like that's part of the community. Right. And it does inevitably it like spins and twirls and like you, you go into this show and it's like this weird little unspoken ring. But it's like, if I'd see somebody else like have a really good guest and something went crazy, I'd be like, why is my show? Not? Yeah. You know, and it's good to self-reflect and say, well, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. That's different. I would be unhappy at myself and then in hand be like angry at that person I'm like, what? Yeah. you know so like but now it's like i can actually have genuine joy and happiness for someone else which i think is a big problem with a lot of people like in my family you know in my immediate circle that i've had to kind of like reassess yep. like hey man like you know i'm trying to put good into the world i'm trying to be happy yep. You know, I don't need your negative shit. Like, you know, I'm I'm kind of, I'm going to go over here until you can figure out your thing. And I'm not trying to like leave people to the wayside, but it's like, it's one of those things. I, I was just, it's almost like, you know, uh, negativity begets negativity. Totally. Right? It's like yeah. that, that energy, that vibe, that yeah. like, it just, and I was stuck in it forever. Yeah. You never make anything positive with negativity. No, never, ever. No. You know, it's really interesting. You say that, um, uh, I talk a lot about in the book about self-awareness and and doing the work. And um, and I've had people say it feels really I feel really selfish. Like if I'm if I'm working on myself, if I'm putting myself first, if I uh, if I practice self-care, especially women. And it is so counterintuitive to think that if I do this work, if I stop and I take the time to dive deep into myself. Why do I make these decisions? Why do I feel this way? Why do I have this comparison thing? Uh, uh, whatever it is that that triggers you, um, if you do that work and you heal and you 
love yourself. You understand where those triggers come from and forgive other people for those triggers. That self-work is, it, it will change your life because then you stop going into those negative spirals and you can show up so much more joyfully. Attachment is the root of all suffering. Attachment to things, attachment to likes, to things going viral, right? Because it, it means that we're comparing ourselves and when we're, we compare ourselves to other people, we feel like we are not enough. And you know what? All that stuff, none of it matters. None of it matters because you are not your podcast likes or views or you know, guests or any of that, like you are the amazing spirit, the who you are. And society, especially Western society, has made us feel unworthy if we aren't popular, if we don't have the Instagram life, if we don't have money. And none of that is true. Attachment to those things causes so much suffering, right? It causes you to not be happy for your friends when something really good happens to them. Um, it causes you to feel bad about yourself that you aren't, you know, you aren't making as much money as somebody, as somebody else that you look up to. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean you have goals. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in setting intentions and manifesting what I want for my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I have done all of this work to let go of the outcome of let go of attachment because it causes so much suffering. And, um, and that's hard work to do. It's really hard work to do because you have to shed so much of of the society, the societal messages that we're getting about, you know, want and and desire and you know consumerism and all of these things that that don't actually matter. Because when you die, nobody cares about how much money you have, how many cars you have, how many likes your podcast had, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah. What matters is how you made them feel. Did you change their lives? Did you make an impact? Did you inspire? And if you are living your life for other people and attached to things that don't matter, it's really hard to, you know, to to bring that joy to other people. But it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy to do. So good for you for doing the work. Um, <laughs> it's a process, right? It's a process. And yeah. actually, someone actually told me it's not. I love this. Uh, she said, it's not doing the work. Like it is part of the human evolution. It's part of what we do as we mature and we age is that we're supposed to learn these things. We're supposed to live our life. So, you know, maybe if doing the work doesn't resonate with you, you think about it as like this evolution. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it seems corny or cliche to go and write your, your eulogy and what do you what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Yeah. And then you make sure that you're doing those things today because there's no way that people are going to say those things if you're not living that life of service, of 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 joy, of gratitude, of of bringing your gifts to the world and loving yourself if you don't work on it now. Yeah. I put something like that up the other day and it was it was just I've just been trying to like in the sauna, especially, I'll be sitting there and I'll type something into the phone. It's like where my brain is at and I'll try and put it out there. And it's like silly. I call it like curtain talk, which is, I don't know where the fuck that came from, but. Kind of like pillow it, talk, but <laughs> behind the curtains. <laughs> so, I, uh, uh, you know, but I put it out there and like sometimes like people, you know, very rarely like if they'll comment something, like they'll reach out directly or something, you know, because maybe they're like, where's your head at or, you know. And one person was like, I don't, I don't care. It was, but it was like, what do you, what do you want to leave behind? Like, what do you, what, you know, the thing was like, 
in two generations, you will be forgotten by everybody that's totally. ever remembered you. Exactly. So what does it matter? Take a risk. Yep. And the person said, uh, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what I leave behind. And so I took it offline and I was like, I, it's not that I care. It's, it's that a, I know that if I make sure that everything I touch turns to gold, that I will have done something right. I may not see it or recognize it in my lifetime. I, there's sometimes you don't know. But it's as simple sometimes as giving somebody a hug when they most need it or when they look at you and they don't look like they need it. So you give it to them anyways. And I mean, it's silly, but I I did this, that to a lady the other day at the, uh, at the office and at Wells group. And I was like, you want a hug? And I gave her a hug and she was like, well, that was, and it wasn't like a, a weird situation. So, but she was like, (laughs) I didn't take it that way. She was like, (laughs) I'm a big hugger. Can I have another hug? And I was like, you absolutely can, you know? And it was like a. You know, it's just, but it's, that that's what I was trying to explain to her is it's not like, I'm not saying, you know, hey, are you leaving a car behind to your kids? Are you setting them up to where they just have countless amounts of money? And it's like, no, but everything you touch, you should have the, you should have the intention of turning it to gold. Yeah. Making it better. It's like, it's, or else what is it all for? You know? And so it was, it was an interesting offline conversation, but um, it's different. You know, it's, it's, it's like interesting how certain people perceive you know, and maybe, maybe that person didn't care. Maybe she didn't care. She probably didn't, but I'm like, mm, I, I think, think there's something below that statement. If you're sure. saying you don't care, for I think sure. you overly care actually. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, yes, the, I agree. I mean, I have no idea who you're talking about, but I mean, we all, and we all do care. And I think that like by saying like, I don't care what people think of me. Like I do care what certain people think of me. Mm-hmm. I do want to be respected. I know I need to make decisions that make me a respected leader. I want to be liked as a leader. So I need to be a likable person. I need to, um, I need to make sure that, that when people talk to me, they feel comfortable, they feel safe. So am I doing those things? Um, and so it's it, this whole idea of, you know, just be yourself and don't really give a shit about what anybody thinks about you is not realistic. Um, it's when you start changing who you are because you are so worried about what people think. And there's probably, you know, my, my employees I care about. And then there's, you know, probably a couple other dozen people in my life who I really value their opinions and I trust their opinions, but there are all these people out there who don't. And, you know, especially as you start to put yourself out there, they'll come in and, and, and those are the people like, it's like, that's just noise. That's just noise. Those people don't really know you. And so how do you, how do you, you know, take care of, of the things you care about? Really take care of the things that you care about. And, uh, but live your life for you. And people who say, like, I don't care about what, I don't care about anything. I don't care about legacy. Um, or what I leave behind. I think those are deep-seated issues sure. that probably baggage that comes back that, You've built this protective wall around yourself, um, and you're using that as a way to guard your heart because something happened. Because there's no way that that I think any human being really doesn't care, unless you're like a sociopath. Um, you <laughs> know, it doesn't be. Really, it could be like I mean, it I could mean, be like it you, is Instagram. We'll but see, I don't know. you know, sociopaths like I mean, it comes from you know childhood trauma. It comes from like really bad things happening to people that damages psyche so much that they have to build these walls. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you keep joy and love in your heart and focus on the the, the things that matter the most and then keep the noise out Mm -hmm. for, for, for those, 
that don't matter. Yeah. You know, that their opinions of you shouldn't make you want to change who you are. But it's hard. Like, you putting yourself out on podcasts, same thing, right? Me, I put myself out there all the time. And it opens you up to people judging mm-hmm. you. It's, re- it's weird, though. Like, even on this podcast, I feel like, I mean, you. Ha- I have to be accountable for what I said. I mean, so I, I mentioned it earlier, but um, so that the first time you came on the show, um, I said something, and it was it's so weird. It's the only podcast I've ever gone back and edited, and so I, I, I said something on the show, and we were talking um, about sobriety or um, you know Alcoholics Anonymous, and anyway, I said something in haste and. I mean, it's clear as day. I'm trying to like create a common, you know, bed of something. Hey, I, I you know, I have something that's very similar. Mm-hmm. And and I said something, and what I said was, my father is a drug and alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And what what I meant to say was, he's a recovering alcoholic, but he no he is no longer that. Yeah. And so I, when I'm editing, I don't listen to every single little phrase. I skipped over and I aired it. So, like. I, I don't, maybe a month after the episode aired, it did really well. It was great. Very well received by people. Um, I got like the most angry message from my dad. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, boom, all this stuff's happening. And, you know, the longest, shortest version of this is basically we have a astronomical blow up, destroys our relationship so much to where, they had just moved back from Florida. They bought this sailboat, right? They sold it, moved back here. They're here for maybe three months. This all happens. He leaves, goes back to Florida. I have a huge falling out with my mom. They, she moves back to Florida. So they're down there, right? And it's like to the point to where, you know, and, and this, is, this, is, this is all personal stuff. And so mom and dad, if you're hearing this, I apologize. But it, it is what it is because I think people need to hear this. Um, you know, it was to the point where I'm like, you're never seeing the kids again. Don't call me. Don't talk. I mean, we were done. We were done. And it weighed on my heart. Like, because when he, he wouldn't tell me what specific piece it was, but I went back and scrubbed the whole hour and a half, hour and 45 minute. And I was like, that's it. That's what it was. Yeah. That's the point. That's, I basically told the world something that is not true. And I, I did it in such haste to just try and get the next question out to you. And, um, so nine months goes by, we're not talking and my father reaches out and I'm like, I'm not, it's through a text and I, I didn't respond. And the next day I didn't respond. And cause I'm just, I had already like closed the door. I'm like, we're, we're finished. And a few weeks before I got sober, I got really drunk and called him. And it was one of those things. It was like, you call and it's like, just silent. Like what's going on? And it was like, I don't really want to talk, but I think I need to talk because I'm, I'm messed up from this. I, I don't know how to get past this. And whatever this I'm carrying, it, it physically hurts. It's making me miserable. You know, I mean, it's a hard thing to think. Like if you lose your parent in death, that's, that's but when you lose your parents by choice because of something that happened or something that didn't happen, it's hard to sit there and go, I'm never talking to my parents again. They're never talking to their grandchildren. And it like, it just absolutely destroyed me. Um, but I called him hammered, pissed drunk. And I'm like, I need to say some stuff, but I also know that you need to say some stuff. And we, the conversation did not start out well, but then about midway through it, it was like, let's just air our dirty laundry to each other. 
and I'll let you say it, and then you let me say it, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to sting real fucking bad. Mm -hmm. But we both need to just say this stuff, and then can we just agree to just move, try and move forward? And we did for like 30 minutes. We, we did not hold a punch. And I'm not a saint by any means. He had some horrible things to say with the things that I've done in the past and vice versa. And uh, it was, you know, it like snapped me back to almost being sober while I was drunk. It was, it was a visceral conversation to have with your dad. It's, it's the things we said you don't want to say to your father. You never want to hear your father say those things to you. And it was like, oh my God. But it was, it allowed us to start to move forward. And, um, they actually recently just moved back uh, of all things. And we were slowly building a relationship and, and I'm still trying to work on it. Um, something happened the other day to where I was like, look, these are showing signs of where we were. I don't want to go there. If you guys want to go there and be that version, the new version of Kyle has kind of left, left the gate. Like mm -hmm. we're, I can't do that. And it, it really upset my mom. And actually, I was not trying to be rude, but I was trying to be brutally honest and just like, we can't do this again. We cannot be that version because that, we just, we just bottled that up for years, you know, for almost 40 years. And then it just showed itself out of nowhere. And we both felt how horrible that was. So we got to be, we have to be better in our relationship of being honest with it and not just reverting back to what we know. And, um, it, it really hurt my mom's feelings and I, I felt terrible about it. Um, but we are working actively on that, but that moment in that show, it made me think everything you say can have an impact positive or negative on somebody that listens to this. Words matter. So when you have conversations, you owe it to yourself, the guests and the listeners to be poignant. And if you say something that's wrong, Unfortunately, in the world of podcasting, you have to take onus in it. You are a human being and you're not invalid, but you have to take ownership in it. And so when that happened, it, it took me, it took me a while. It took, I was very sheepish for like, I think that was episode 17. We just dropped 53 or 54 this week. Um, it was probably like another 10 shows until I kind of got my rhythm back because I was so worried that I was going to say something. And by that time, my, my relationship was over as far as I could tell with my parents. But I, that, your, your episode, that impact that it had completely outside in my, in my personal life from, from a tiny little sliver of a car, it was like, holy cow. Okay. So the podcast had, can and does have an impact on, on people beyond this table. But what I took from that is like, now you have to be far more real because, and, and, I, and I, I regret doing it. I regret changing the episode. Every time I think about it right now, I regret it because I want people to hear what my mistake was. But I was so in the moment, I was like, okay, I'll change it. I'm so sorry. What did, I don't even, he wouldn't tell me what I said. He was so angry at me that he couldn't believe that I said something. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I just scrubbed that part. But it made me think, like, in the good and the bad, you have to own it. You have to be, if you say something, that's, that's part of this thing that you're building, right? You know that it's helped, and you know that it's hurt. You've mm -hmm. seen both sides of it. And it, it, like, 
it took a little while, but I went back to that and started thinking about that. And, and it made it to where I will tell myself, and, and I, I put a video up the other day and I, I should have said it a little bit differently, but I had somebody reach out to me and tell me that they didn't think the way I handled something was proper with the guests and that, um, that they think I should change the way I would say something in that type of interview. And if I don't, then they would no longer listen to me. So I put up a post and I was like, first off, this podcast is not beholden to anybody. Secondly, if you don't like what you hear, you can unsubscribe and no longer listen. It's that easy. And then the third thing, as I said, this as clear as day. I was like, you can go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. I've let this podcast ruin a section of my life for almost a year. And I was like, I will not allow somebody else. Like, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things that people are not comfortable with. But I will always be 100% real on this podcast. And I'm, 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 and I'm, I'm dragging this on, but I'm so grateful that the little sliver of your, your episode, it, it changed the way I interact with this podcast forever. And I know that you didn't know that. No. I've been holding that until you came back on the show. But it was oh like my gosh. that moment, it was 17 seconds, Carrie. 17 seconds changed the way I view this podcast for the rest of my life. And I, I'm so grateful for it. It's, it's insane. It almost brings me to tears because it's, uh, it, it, uh, I don't know where it would be. I don't think it would be the same show. I think I would still just kind of be meandering and maybe not taking it with enough respect. Um, but it, yeah, it was, God, it was, wow. it was a tiny little sliver. And, yeah. but those little slivers, I've also had people call me and be like, thank you so much. Like I needed to hear that undoubtedly today. I needed to hear that, whatever you guys said, you know, and it's like so these little, these little things, I don't know, they matter, you know, and this, this is the biggest part of my recovery is this, this pot, this studio, this podcast, this, um, cause it helps me, but. I know that it's, that it's helping other people. I definitively know it. Yep. You know? Thank you for sharing that. Wow. I, I'm very often not speechless, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, what an impactful story. And, you know, um, as brutal as it is, maybe it's exactly what you guys needed to finally say what needed to be said. And so good for you for finding the gift in it, even though it was really painful or, you know, searching for the gift mm -hmm. as you're rebuilding your relationship with your parents. Um, I don't have much of a relationship with my dad, but a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> he texts my brother and me out of the blue. My brother lives here in Durango too. And he says, hey, I'm um, working in, in Amarillo and I don't have anything to do this weekend. I was thinking maybe I could come up and see you guys. I haven't seen my dad for a decade. My brother since his high school graduation, which was 24 years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I called my brother and I said, what, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't really care. It's like, well, I don't think we should be assholes. I think we should let him come and let's see what this is about. Like, we don't, this is weird. Yeah. Like, he, is he coming to tell us he's dying? I don't know. So he gets here and we go to dinner and he's pretty much my same old dad. I'm a little funny. Um, a little inappropriate, and pretty self-centered. But met his two grandsons, my brother's two sons, for the first time. They're 19 and 16. He's met my son before because I've taken him to see him, but only when he was a baby. Uh, and when we're going back, he says, uh, taking him back to the hotel, he says, hey, do you think your mom would talk to me? Like your mom? My mom, yeah. 
And they've been divorced. They've been divorced since I was I know, 13. And he left when I was very young. So, um, and uh, and so I said, I, I'm sure she would. Like, I don't think she has any ill will. I will call her when I drop you off and I'll let you know. So I call my mom and she's like, huh, well, yeah, okay. But, you know, it really seems like he should spend time with his kids. So they went and she picked him up for breakfast and they had this long conversation where he didn't really apologize. He kind of made excuses, but at least he acknowledged some things. And uh, and I go get him and we go out to lunch and I take, give him for a tour of Stone Age and I come back to my house and he's making small talk and and we have very different values systems very different beliefs and it's always caused a fric- friction friction for him i accept him for who he is but he wants me to be different and uh so we have this long conversation and small talk and i'm finally like okay i gotta figure out why he's here and my mom's like it's not his health you know she's like i'm not 100 percent sure but it's not his health and and i think maybe he wants to ask you to be his his executor of his estate but i'm not sure so I like pushed the conversation. So how was it with mom? What do you want to talk about? And and uh, and we go into, you know, he starts talking a little bit about the past. And and he said, you know, I was thinking about asking you to be my executor, but I just, you know, I just don't think that that that's right. I mean, I was I wasn't I mean I wasn't around that much, and and I don't want to put that on you. And I found the courage to find. To, to finally say some of the things that I needed to say, but in a really kind way, because I truly do forgive my dad for not being around very much and when he was for being a total jerk. Um, but uh, but I was able to finally say some of those things because I said, you know, Dad, um, I will do that for you because when you die, I'm going to anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would be so much easier on me if I know what you want, if I have a plan to execute and and not trying to figure it all out with you know my stepmom assuming she's still alive uh went after you die and so it was this i said but i have some boundaries <laughs> like i'm not taking care of you if your health goes i'm not you can't come in here and live with me and i'm not taking care of you and um and i will help you if you, you know i will help you get into your uh, assisted living, whatever you set up, I will help you with that. But I am going to, this, these are the boundaries that I have. And he said, well, you don't have to do that. You don't owe me anything. And I said, you're right, dad. I don't owe you anything. I'm doing this because this is the kind of human being I want to be. I want to do the right thing. And, but I'm not going to do it without boundaries. And it was a really tough conversation. And uh, we never resolved it. If I'm going to be his executor, he went back to the hotel. We were supposed to hang out the next day and he left and didn't tell me until like 530 the next night. So typical, my dad like completely bailed, <laughs> doesn't tell anybody he's gone and he's gone uh, until, you know, we're supposed to meet at 11. And I finally hear from him at 545 that night. Um, but, you know, I'm really great, even though I, I don't know that he got what he wanted from that trip. And I don't. There's no outcome. It was really good to be able to say the things that needed to be said. And so it's not as visceral as as your story where, you know, your relationship breaks down. But sometimes those opportunities come and you have to say, 
like I need to have this conversation. Yeah. And I'm not going to go in and 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 rehash what it was like being a kid around him. Um, you know, I've done that work to truly forgive him, but it felt really good to set those boundaries to say, "Dad, I'm not taking care of you." You know, I I do my best to love you as best as I can. Mm-hmm. And I will help you, but here's where my boundaries are. I've never done something like that with my dad. Only one or two times where I just said, we're not talking about this anymore. Like, I'm not going to argue with you about this. Um, but to start to set some of those boundaries about what what that future relationship might look like. To say, to finally, like, stand up instead of being that, like, little girl that was always trying to make her dad love her. <laughs> like, no, I don't need you to love me anymore. Um, I will help you because that's what family does. But here are my boundaries. And so, you know, sometimes those things just have to happen to say what needs to be said. Sometimes they blow up like yours and creates this huge mess. But I think the way that you're handling it of like, hey, I'm going to own my part of it. Sure. And But I also need to set boundaries on what I'm okay with. And I'm doing it because I love myself. I love my family. And I love you. Um, and, 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 and that can be uncomfortable for people as you're working through these kind of emotional situations, but it's so much better in the long run than just bottling things up inside, (laughs) you know, not saying what needs to said, letting yourself go back down that path with your parents that you know, isn't healthy. Sure. You know, I mean, I would, could do that. I could totally see myself wanting my dad to love me and me saying, oh, sure, dad, of course I will do this for you. Oh, sure. If you need me to live with you, even though you literally have not acknowledged anything in my life, literally he didn't even acknowledge that I wrote a book. Um, nothing. I want to, I want to, uh, EY's entrepreneur of the year, uh, this year. I saw that. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. That's pretty damn amazing. And he sends (laughs) me this random text when I'm there getting the award. So I send him a picture and he just says, oh, that's cool. No congratulations, nothing. The night that we went out to dinner when he was here in Durango, he says, man, I tell you, Schatz, my family calls me Schatzi, sweetheart in German. Man, Schatz, I have to tell you, like, you look really good. I showed the guys at my job site the picture that you sent when you were in your gown, and everybody was like, whoo, boy, she sure is hot. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, Dad, like, really? I mean, you were almost 80 years old, and I am your daughter, and you're showing, like, and then, and that's what you want to, like, acknowledge is that, you know, I look pretty good for 45. Um, uh, I, I, It's just, like, it's unbelievable. And then I just have to remember, like, it's him. Sure. This isn't me. And, And I accept and I forgive. But here are my boundaries. And uh, and so it was really powerful. Like, I don't know if he got what he came for out of the trip. I'm pretty sure he didn't since he left without telling us. Um, but for me, it was um, it, it, it made me, one, realize that all the work that I've done to forgive my dad, I truly have. Because you don't know until you see the person, mm-hmm. right? You don't know until you see that, again, like, you know, is it just fake? Like, I've just, like, fooled myself into thinking, like, I've done the work and I truly have gotten to a place of acceptance and forgiveness. Yeah. I know that I have. But it also felt really good to set a boundary to say, like, I don't owe you. You're right. I don't owe you anything. You've never been there for me in my life. But I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Like, my soul just, you know, and the whole thing, it was like, like, I'm so glad I had that, even though it was really hard. Sure. And I I feel like I made him mad. Did it feel good to just, I mean, I feel like sometimes, like, we harbor those we just hold on to those feelings or maybe it's even hatred or whatever. And that has this 
a weight to it that yeah. just like you can't explain, but right. did it feel at that moment like it was just you let the weight finally, like the last little remnants of the weight, or or just it's just gone. Yeah. Baggage does what baggage does. Mm-hmm. It holds you down. It keeps you back. It holds you down. Work you got to work. So I, I mean, I tell I do this a lot in a lot of the keynote speaking that I do for for um, for women in leadership groups. Work on your stuff. Like your baggage, it will only make you miserable. And a lot of people hang on to it because they don't know how to be anything but mm-hmm. their baggage, their trauma. Definitely. Right. If I let that go, if I let my anger go, if I let my my resentment go, who am I? Who am I without that? Um, but it it does it diminish it so diminishes the quality of your life. And, you know, I mean, my dad is a pretty miserable human being. He has a very toxic combination of self-hatred and self-righteousness. <laughs> um, and and a lot of it is because he hasn't done the work. And I I look at him with all of that baggage and how miserable he is and how he can't have a relationship with his two amazing children and his beautiful grandchildren. He could come came here and could see that we like have this amazing life and that we're together and that we love each other. There's so much love. And his baggage does not allow him to be able to embrace that, to be able to accept that kind of love in his life, to be able to have relationships with his children because he carries so much shame and guilt around the way that he's lived his life. That is what happens when you don't deal with your baggage. He brought up a story for me when he got out of the military. He was in Vietnam. He did two terms in Vietnam as a Marine. And he told me um, about coming out and he had he just was angry and, and, and it caused him to, um, to do all these hurtful things to people. I was like, man, dad, that was like 50 years ago to work on your shit. I mean, and we all do really stupid things in our 20s. And if we literally live our life, 50 years of our life with so much shame and regret and self-hatred, like no wonder you can't have relationships <laughs> with people. And uh, and so it's just a really good reminder to me of the importance of doing the work and really letting that baggage go. Because I can tell you that when I'm 80 years old, like I want to be able to look back at my life and say, man, I learned so much and I'm so filled with joy. And I've, I I love myself even when I make mistakes because that's what's going to to to, to bring light into the world. Um, not being perfect, none of those things, right? We're, none of us are. So baggage, you got to let it go. You got to do the work to let it go because it does, it diminishes your quality of life dramatically and it just keeps building and building. It's like every time you don't work work on it and something happens and you're like, oh, there's that other thing. You just put another weight in that suitcase and pretty sure pretty soon, you know, you you aren't the you it, it's so much harder to live the life that you want to live. Oh, there's a lot in there. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well thanks uh, for swapping dad stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah they're I don't know. What's your dad's name? My dad's name is John. John. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know. We've always had a very tumultuous relationship, yeah. you know. And, and uh, but it was, like you said, it was, um, I just carried it. And, I, and I, I'm not past it. I mean, I, I, I can't sit here and lie to you. It's like yeah. I'm still harboring some of those. And he asked me the other day, like, you know, why, why do you, why can't you get past it? And I was like, I don't know. I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm working on that shit. I was like, I don't know. but. 
I'm not ready to just let the guard down just yet because I, it's like, it's like, I don't know if I trust it. I don't know if this is real, right? It feels like this is a damn simulation at times where it's, I don't want to say I'm crazy, but I'm saying like all of a sudden what we went through for the last nine months to have them move back. It just, I mean, the cra- the story's crazy. It's insane, yeah. but it's, it is real, but I just don't know if I'm ready to like open it up and be like, okay, I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm trying yeah. to work on it. It's, it's always a know. process. It's always a process. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's taken me two decades to be able to get to this point. Uh, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people will argue with this statement and I even argue with myself um, around it. But the way that I, the way that I try to approach people is especially people who don't understand why they make decisions that they make, especially decisions that have, you know, that impact me. Um, if you truly believe that people are doing the very best that they can with what they have, it helps. And like, I know that my dad is carrying baggage from his family, the way he was raised, right? They say like trauma, tra- like family trauma goes back seven generations because, you know, it just keeps carrying forward with how people interact in the world based on that, on, on their trauma. And so like, I know that my dad had a tough childhood and, and, and didn't have this, you know, this, he, he didn't learn the skills of how to manage his emotions and, and, and show up the way that I would have liked him to. And so the work where I've gotten to now is, man, if I can just say this person is doing the best that they can with what they have right now, it really does help me forgive hurtful things that happen or, you know, whatever it is that's going on. And that's a tough philosophy to have because you look around and people do stupid things all the time and you're like, why are you doing that? Um, but you don't know. You don't know those seven generations of trauma that have been carried forward into that moment. You don't know what has happened in the last nine months to tear that person's, you know, heart apart. And and because we don't know people's stories and we humans think that we're really good at assuming what's going on in other people when in fact we're terrible at it. If you can remind yourself, like, I don't actually know what that person's going through, and I'm just going to assume good intentions, that they're doing the very best that they can with what they have, it does, it helps me come from a place of like, more, of, more of acceptance. And so you can move through it a little bit easier. So I don't know. It's hard work, though, because sometimes, like, you know, like, I mean, here, my dad is 78 years old, and I'm like, okay, he's doing the best he can with what he has. And I'm like, really? Like, you're 78 and you're yeah. going to die soon. Like, really? Come like, come on. Uh, um, but I just go back to that. Like, he's doing the best he can with what he has. And it helps me because that's it. Like, I can't control anybody else but me. You can't control anybody else but you. And the only thing that you can control about you is how you react to something. Right? We spend so much time, time trying to orchestrate outcomes. Right? We care about Okay, I want to make this much money. I want to do this. I want this kind of car, blah, 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 whatever it is. And we're trying to orchestrate any of that. And in reality, we we have very little control sure. of those things. And so if you focus all that energy of being present in the moment and saying, the one thing I can control is how I react to a certain situation, that's the most powerful thing. Mm-hmm. But we give our power away when we let people make us mad, when you know, we compare ourselves when we do X, Y, Z. No, I can focus on what I can control. And that is how I am showing up in this very moment. 
And that is ownership thinking. That's the ownership mindset. That is, I am responsible for my life right now and how I choose to respond to this moment that's unfolding in front of me. Um, but uh, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. It's hard work to do. It is not easy by any means. Yeah. No. And I'm, ugh, yeah. The brain, the brain, I'm reading this book right now called The Master and His Emissary. And it's, you know, the guy is laying out, I'm still getting through the first quarter of the book, but he's like laying out the way that the brain is structured and the way we perceive so many things and how the brain articulates to certain core nervous systems. And it is fascinating. And, you know, that's one that I do listen to, sorry to your husband, but yeah. I listen to in the sauna. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> consuming a book, not reading it. Uh, but it, it like, it, it will trigger something in your head and you're going, Okay, wow, we're perceiving certain things because of X, Y, and Z. And then I'm always trying to put that into like rational, tangible content, you know, or context with the way that I'm going through life, you know. And, and it's like I had a guest tell me off air the other day and just a person that like I revere, like, wow, like, you know, just I shut up and listen. I don't talk. When he wants to talk, it's like because he's seen the road, like he's been beaten and battered by this road and it's like so when he has he and he said something he's like look the how dare us if we can't look back at ourselves 10 years ago and truly think about what we believed in you know how dare us if we can't say how far have we come from that person that we were 10 years ago and the memories that we've made but also the beliefs that have been changed or altered by the world that we're in now. He's like, if you can't look back and not with honor, but say, I'm not the same person, you know, and change and have these different beliefs, how dare us if we can't look back and then in today's world say, I know that I'll be different in 10 years from now, you know, and you'll be looking back at this moment. Yeah. So he's like, those things that upset you and make you mad because you believe in them or it's baggage because it's holding you here now. It's like, how dare you? You know, because you're always going to be changing that belief, that system, that way you perceive something. So he's like, stop letting it come into you and hurt you, hurt your feelings. And he said hurt, you know, because, yeah. but he's like, just know that you're creating that sense of why it's hurting. Yes. Nobody else is. Yep. It's your own things that you've built as your kind of little, like you said, like this bubble. Um, you know, and he's like, that could be something that you 1,000% believe in. It could be God. It could be whatever. You're getting angry because you have built that belief. Yep. But look at yourself 10 years ago. Yeah. That belief has guaranteed change yep. because life has presented itself to make you or forced you to change. And I was like, that is fucking brilliant, man. I was like, I love just, it. You know, I love I totally I, agree. I, I, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I love those people that you, I hope we all, I hope everyone listening or watching has that person in their life where they don't want to talk. They want to listen. And I know that maybe not everybody can, can has that all the time in their life. But if you've got that person like that, you can just, you want to no longer talk. You want to listen because they are so wise and they're weathered typically they're much older than you you know and it's just like i just want to be in the presence of yeah. that person you know it's like I, I wish that upon everybody to just have that being that they can go oh, like, yep. wow 
well, that's what maturing is all about. And and he's, you know, it, it, that's a totally correct philosophy. It's actually, I, I so believe it. That's why my podcast is called Reflect Forward uh, <laughs> because it is like, give me, and I think when you have really life altering events, like, like I had in my life of, 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 uh, overdose and, you know, almost dying, um, uh, and, and looking at how my life has changed, you know, it's been 17 years, simply 17 years this past September, um, and and I think it makes it so much easier to see, like, wow, look at what has changed. I absolutely am not that person, and I don't have those same belief systems. Um, and and so if 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 people would just like be more embracing of of the way that we evolve instead of being so rigid in, I believe this, this is right. You know, I'm going to judge anybody who is not like me. Like all of it's going to always evolve and change. I wrote a, uh, it's in my book, um, you know, don't believe everything you think. Like just because you think it does not make it true. That is good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but a don't lot of people do, right? Like, don't believe everything you think. Like just because you had a thought does not make it true. Like, yeah. like analyze it. And if you think something is true and then all of a sudden you get new information to say, hmm, you know, that belief system, that like that's, that's not true. I'm okay with letting that go. A lot of people really struggle with that. Um, I actually am really scared for where we're going as a society and this idea that we can't evolve and change. Um, like you look at COVID, for example, and I hope I don't make anybody mad, but you know, when COVID came out, none of us knew what was going to happen. And people, I believe that people were trying to make the best decisions to, make, to save people's lives. Um, I know that other people don't believe that, but but I believe good intentions because that makes my life happier, and I don't like to believe that people are doing nefarious things on purpose. Um, so, you know, I, I, we were trying to make the best decisions we could, and then as we got more information, like, it changed. Protocols changed because we learned. Mm -hmm. There's a subset of people in society that won't let you go back and say, yeah, we were learning. But that is what life is. That is what science is. That's even what belief is, right? What faith is. It's going, I used to think this because this is the best information that I had in my life. And now I think this because I've had all these experiences and I've learned these things and, and other people have learned things that have helped me shape my thinking. And that's what we go through and learn like what I believed at when I was 20 is very much different what I believed at when I'm 45 and I will guarantee that when I'm 80 that my belief system is going to be very different and I'm 100% okay with it because I understand that it's that, that my thinking is always an evolution yeah. I embrace the evolution of my thinking the reason why I love getting older people ask me you know I just turned 45 like oh you know like how do you feel about getting close to 50 I'm like oh, I love it I get so much, my life is so much more enriched the more experiences that I have, the more knowledge that I gain, the more that my thinking evolves as a human being. I love getting older. I was dumb when I was in my 20s. <laughs> I was dumb when I was in my 30s. Life experiences have made my life so much more enriched. And so now I'm not afraid to get older. Like I'm excited to, un to like to, to, to see like, how deeply I think and I feel because of all of the knowledge that I'll have gained and all of the experiences that I will had have had in my life that will shape me into hopefully being a, a really impactful person that you know can hopefully live beyond two generations. But even if I don't, who cares, yeah. right? It's <laughs> it's that that's that's that that's this purpose here on on Earth. So I just wish everybody would embrace the evolution.
mm-hmm. of our thinking, of our belief systems. Well, I was just talking um, to somebody about that the other day, like, and, and this happened to be a faith-based conversation. Um, you know, I've kind of grew up in the church, Southern Louisiana, or Northeast Louisiana, but in the South, you know, Southern yeah. Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And say what you want to about that church, um, but there were some things that happened in, in our lives, like uh, when, you know, we we weren't necessarily disowned by the church, but my, my, my parents split up for a, a certain amount of time. And it was like, we weren't accepted in this weird way. It's like, well, you know, it was almost like the church was like, well, what did you guys do? Why did your, you know, and it's like, hold on. So anyways, we stopped going to church and I kind of lost a bit of faith for a number of years. And then I was telling this gentleman, you know, in my early twenties, it was like, it wasn't the cool thing to be Christian. It wasn't, or to be religious, I shouldn't say Christian, but it wasn't cool to be, it was like, you know, cooler to be this way, or, you know, you, you only look at the science of it and it doesn't make sense from a scientific standpoint. And then like the older you get, you start to start to question. And I, and I was like, look, I think that you should always question faith. Like, that's the point of it. Like, if you're trying to advance your faith, just like anything, like if you're trying to be, you know, like a a mathematician, like you constantly learning new things about it because it's constantly evolving. That's the same thing with faith. It's the same thing. Like, and I was like, even from like a faith stance, if, you know, if you believe in the book that everybody, you know, touts, then it, you're you're supposed to question it, right? Like you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to have these sessions in your life where you are a non-believer, right? And then th- th- it's designed in that fashion. And so it was like his com- his comment was interesting. He's like, yeah, but I think people are scared to question the faith. And yeah. I was like, exactly, they are, right? Because then what the, what does that do? That takes you from everything that you're rooted in t- yeah. in your 20s. All of a sudden, you're if you start to say, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not as religious as I was, yeah. then you, you don't believe. And mm-hmm. like, that's a bad thing, right? Yeah. Or that's, and this doesn't, I, I'm just using, the, because the conversation happened about religion, but it's with everything. Yeah. It's like, you should be always questioning because yeah. like you said, it's a constant involvement, yeah. you know? And then even if you come in and out of stuff, right? You may come in yeah. and out of these beliefs, and but it's like, just, Use what you just went through and learned and then readapt them to, you know, it's like I was full on questioning faith the other day. And I don't, I don't know. It's like I've been a part of many churches and I've been a non-believer, but there are things in my life that have happened to me that I cannot, with a human perspective, yeah. I can't put a finger on it. Yeah. And I have a podcast recorded that I talked deeply about this. I haven't released it. I don't know if I will. It was just something I needed to say out loud. It's like I can't, I can't put a finger on it, and I think that's the only way that the human brain can kind of put a hash to this yeah. thing. Like I don't know how to describe it, I don't know how to explain yeah. it, but this is so beyond me. It's yeah. so beyond the presence that something is, and it's like you know, a lot of people equate it to God or something of that nature or angelic. And it's like, I don't have the answers to that. I can't define it in my brain. Um, and it was just a very interesting way that I was looking at it in this podcast in my own brain. It's yeah. like, you know, but after that, talking to this gentleman, it was like, I think you should be questioning your faith, not totally. questioning whether you believe it or not. You believe what you want to believe. Yeah. That's fine. That's not my job to tell you what's right or wrong by any means. But I was like, I think that if you look at it at its core, it's designed to make you question it it's designed because if you question it hopefully you get the answers and you come back stronger in your beliefs or there's nothing wrong with going the opposite direction 
Like that's the greatest thing about being a human being is you can you yeah. have the ability to change your beliefs. And every everybody's journey is so individual and I think that's what's really important to remember is that right we're not we're not supposed to be a certain way our whole lives, right? We we accept that babies aren't, right? They have to you teach you you have to you have to do things, you have to learn, you have to grow. And and your thinking is always going to evolve based on your experiences. My mom uh, was raised Catholic and she uh, and she was so like, you know, she went the pendulum swung the other way. Like she was like, that's it. I'm breaking up with the Catholic Church and 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 she did not raise us religious at all. And uh, and I would go to church a little bit with my grandma, but it just wasn't part of our lives. In college at Colorado School of Mines, my favorite class was an intro to religion class where I got exposed to all different kinds of, of, of world religions. And it really, it's when I started uh, to explore my own spirituality and, uh, and, and this whole new world was opened up to me. And I've never been religious, um, uh, but I have been very spiritual. And it has has gone in and out where of my life where like sometimes it's like, okay, I'm really busy and this is just not something that I have time for in my life. Right now, I am in a deep spiritual practice and, uh, and it has, and my thinking is absolutely involved and it is bringing so much more joy and meaning to my life because I am truly connected. <laughs> I feel connected. Um, but I don't use, for me, spirituality is a way to um, enhance this experience on earth right now, this life. Um, I am comfortable not knowing what the answer is. Like, I think I know in my experience, but I can't say for sure. And I think a lot of people use faith, use religion, because they're really uncomfortable not knowing what happens. What is the purpose for, of all of this, right, if we just die? And, and so for me and my journey, I'm totally comfortable with, with saying, this is what I believe. I might be wrong. Um, I don't expect anybody else to believe the way that I believe. Um, but here's, he, because it's what I believe, this is how I'm going to choose to live my life, to choose to express and explore my spirituality. Uh, and it is so enriching. And I talked to my mom a lot about it. And like, she kind of was like, I don't really know of like the way you think is right. You know, she, cause she's just like shut herself off from, because of, of her experience in organized religion. And so, anyway, it's just this, we have these interesting conversations about the way that we were raised and and how, you know, it causes us to, you know, to either conform or to not conform mm -hmm. um, because of those experiences. And, uh, but I'm so grateful that I have um, a spiritual practice and that, that I have spirituality in my life. You know, when I was 18, I would have never even imagined that because it was just not part of the way that I was raised. And, and, uh, and it's really brought a lot of benefit to my life. You ever pray? I do all the time. So do you, well, I'm not going to ask you that. That's a rude question. Um, <laughs> sorry, Gary. Well, I, you, I, there is no rude question. No, as far I was, as I was just, you know, uh, what I, I guess let me just, so I find myself praying sometimes, but in, in the same sense of, I question, uh, I question whether God exists or not. I think I live in a similar boat. I, I do believe totally. that there's spirituality and I do believe that there's something that I, I can't explain and I can also see the good um, with some of the organized religions and uh, I think that that building that community and that like fellowship can be really good but 
it's like when I'm, when I'm praying, I'm almost talking outside of my being. And it's, uh, it's just kind of, I don't, I don't know if I'm praying to what I shouldn't say God, you know, but like, uh, like my neighbor's God may not be the same God yeah, that I'm talking absolutely. to. I'm just praying to something. Yeah. And so I was going to ask you, do you pray to God? But I, I wanted to just give yeah. context of yeah. like my view of that. I'm not saying yeah. like, you know. Yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, he, we this ecosystem, we I mean, we are amazingly put together beings. I mean, when you really look at how our, our how we operate as humans, there's something that's very magical about it, you know, and I do believe in evolution, but there is something magical that has, that, that created what we are. And I'm not religious, so I don't believe in, 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 you know, I don't, I don't practice, I don't pray, I don't practice, uh, you know, a, a certain religion. I send my son to Catholic school uh, and I'm really glad that he's getting a Catholic education and learning so much about, about religion and, and all of the historical context that's there. Um, so sometimes I pray to God, sometimes I pray to the universe, sometimes I pray to the creator source. To me, it's about connecting with this, you know, this higher energy that isn't just God. That is everything. It's the universe. It's the it's the it's nature. You know, we are truly all connected. We're all just energetic beings of light. Everything is. Everything is. It has energy. Everything is light. And so that's yeah. yeah. Now people don't think I'm crazy. Um, no, no, I don't no, talk about this very often. But yeah, that's what I. So that's what I really try to feel. So when I'm when I am praying, um, um, when I am uh, you know communicating with the the energy that's all around us, like that's what I feel. Like I try to just feel myself in space. You try to feel like every um, centimeter of my body and the air around it and how that's connected to everything else. And so that way when I put out into the un universe, whatever I am praying about, whatever my mantra might be or, um, or whatever I'm visualizing because I have lots of different practices, all of it is through this essence of being connected to everything that is the universe that is, you know, far beyond what I can perceive, right? We live in a very 3D world and there's a lot more that's going on than what humans can just perceive. And, and so how do I stay connected to all of that? Remembering that, you know, we're all, we're all in this together and, and, and that's the way that it's actually supposed to be. So that's more of my spiritual practice. It's it's very, I would say, energetic, right? Yeah. It's very much about energy and vibration and and truly feeling connected to everything, connecting to the universe, connecting to God, creator source, you know, the the things the 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 creator that's beyond what what we can perceive. It yeah. feels good. It does. It feels like, amazing. And sometimes it it you know, there's, I have friends that have had conversations in, in the past and dear, dear friends that they were like, believe in, you believe in God now kind of thing. And this was, you know, let's say this was in the twenties, but like, as, as I kind of grow and mold and, you know, transition into whatever it is I'm living right now, it's, I just, I don't, I can't define any of it, but like I, I agree that the the energy is there, mm -hmm. and whatever it is that I'm putting out, that energy or those questions, you know, I'm not praying for a glass of water. I'm not praying for things. I'm just 
talking beyond myself. Yes. And when that happens, you know, some people, maybe it's meditation, I don't know, but I walk away from it and it, I just I feel good. I feel yeah. whole for that moment. Yeah. And it's, it's, been a, it's been a tough battle because for a lot of my years, I would say the bulk of my 20s and early 30s, like I, I didn't have time to believe in a God. Mm-hmm. I didn't have time to be spiritual. I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, it's like nobody's coming to save you kind of vibe, right? You hear that a lot. And then there's a part of me that does believe that. Like you have to do things of your own intention and you have to be intentional. But sometimes I think we owe it to ourselves in the world to kind of put that energy out there of like even, even questioning. Yeah. Like I was, whatever I was talking to, I was full on questioning. And I was like, not strike me dead and, prove yourself, you know, like, but it was, I was just questioning the entire concept, but then by, it was probably 30 minutes in the sauna, but by the end of it, my, I was talking to myself, this was a strange, and this was what this podcast about, but I, we're, on, we're in the topics, I'm going to say, I'm talking to myself, and then it's like the light switch hit, and I just go, thank you for allowing me this moment question whatever it is like thank you for not casting judgment and thank you for giving me the words so that i could question this and even though i didn't get an answer i i appreciate that the openness of whatever i'm in right now and i was i could have yeah i was in a sauna and it's 150 degrees and all that stuff right but for me i walked away from that and i was absolutely relieved and i was just so pleasant that i got the opportunity to question it all yeah. With no judgment. And I was allowed to kind of go into that space in my body and in my mind. And I don't know, people probably think we're fucking crazy. Carrie, probably. But, well, but that's yeah. how you build a relationship with yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. that, those are the conversations that you have to have with yourself in these, you know, and, and I do. I mean, I talk to I talk to my higher self all the time. And I truly, and, and but that's the work of self-love and going, okay, like I can, I can have these questions. I can, I can, I can feel bad about something, but you know, when you're connected to your higher source, to your higher self, um, you can have, I think those really real conversations. And that's why I love my spiritual practice. It's like, I don't have to feel bad if I'm in the moment of like, oh God, this is bullshit. I yeah. literally am talking to like, am I, am I talking to myself? Am I talking to somebody else? Like, you know, like I can question it and I, and I don't feel bad. Like it literally is what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to have the answers, mm. right? We are supposed to experience. We are supposed to, um, we have free will, right? We're, we have to make decisions and if we make wrong decisions or, or, or maybe they're not, I don't know. There's a book that's out there. I haven't read it yet, but the, it's a, written by a psychologist and like a biologist. He think he's a psychologist and a biologist. And he says that there is actually no free will, mm. that everything that we do is preordained. And I have to read this book because I am super curious about like how much is really truly out of our control. Sure. Um, and uh, and so, but I have fun with it. I have fun with like this whole idea. And, and it's really been helpful for me because I'm trying hard not to orchestrate outcomes. I have spent mm. my whole life trying to orchestrate exactly what I want in life. And I, I've done a pretty decent job at it. But it's been hard. It's been miserable. It's been lots of resistance and questioning and, you know, and I'm trying to just surrender to letting the moment unfold and knowing that, like, if I, I trust in myself and I'm doing all the right things, but if I have this this relationship, this more spiritual relationship with with, with universe, with God, and, and just try to 
let things unfold the way they're supposed to unfold, what magic, ma- what magic can really happen mm-hmm. when I am working as one yeah. rather than as an individual trying to force things? Yeah. And I have no idea what it's going to bring, but that's what I'm working on right now. Resistance, attachment, right? It's what brings suffering. Sure. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I want to live as happy of a life as possible. There's so much suffering out there. And I will tell you, 2024 is going to be a shit show. There's going to be so much opportunity for us to just continue down this path of of, of, of agitation and anger and judgment, right? Because it's all around us right now. I am choosing not to engage in that. And the only way to not engage in that, especially being a CEO running a business who, heck yeah, I want to grow. Like I have big plans is to remember that the way that I show up, the way that I am connected with everything and everyone out there, the way that I can accept, love, and model that I'm going to have less suffering. I'm not going to buy into the narrative that's out there that you have to be on this side or this side. Yeah, I'm not going to buy into it. I'm just going to try to love everybody, even if I don't understand why some people are doing the things that they're doing, and be the very best version of myself that I can be, and just stay in this like energetic place mm-hmm. and do my very best to make an impact in the world and leave it a better place. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll let you know how it goes next time I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, <laughs> it well, can all be bullshit, right? It's just like, who knows? But that's that's where I'm at right now. And that's what's so fun about the evolution of your thinking, right? Yeah. It, I can guarantee in five years from now, it'll be different because of what I've learned through this process. Like living on earth right now is really interesting. It's a really interesting time to be alive. Very, very interesting. Oh, oh my God. So where can people get the book? Uh, is it primarily online? Uh, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes okay. & Noble. You can, okay. If you're in Durango or the Durango area, Maria's has copies of it. So you can head over to Maria's and get it. Gotcha. And uh, it's The Ownership Mindset? The Ownership Mindset, a handbook okay. for transforming your life and leadership. So I'd love for anybody to get it and let me know what you think. Yeah. Uh, When's the audiobook going to release? It's out. Oh, it's, it's out, out? It's out okay. on, uh, on Audible right now. Oh, and cool. I'm working on getting it on other – I'm get, working on getting it on Spotify. And some of, there's like this really cool independent – um, audio, uh, a book that does, or a company that does audiobooks, but you tie it to an independent bookstore. Okay. And so I'm working on getting on, on that so that I can, um, that all the proceeds would go to Maria's instead, yeah. or at least some of the proceeds would go to Maria's. Oh, that's cool. Instead of Amazon. Uh, so. Would they have to host it then? They would put it nope, like on their server? Oh, no, okay. they, they, this, 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 this book, um, I can't remember, I'm spacing the name of it right now, dang it. Um, but they, um, they host it. But then you get to put your independent bookstore, uh, and they get a, a proceed of the um, of the profits to the book. So oh, it's that's super a cool. way to uh, it's a way for independent bookstores to be able to benefit from this move to digital. Nice, to digital, so, digital so a little bit like local first, exactly. That's, that's yeah, way cool. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that. You know, I so I've done the Spotify Premium forever for music mm-hmm. and just mainly downloading podcasts yeah. in case I'm offline. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm searching the other day. So I I have to go in because I ordered it from Ria's to get the the paperback, Mm -hmm. which I love because I write notes and books that really trigger me. But so I started pre-listening to that book I was reading, um, The Master and His Emissary. And I like started looking through their catalog and I was like, I'm done with Audible. Yeah. My premium subscription gets me like, wow, you know, so um, I didn't know. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Everybody's well, coming after Amazon. <laughs> yeah, they got to be so. Uh, Okay, thank you so much again. Yeah. I really, like, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming back on. I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to tell you that story and just yeah. uh, thank you for being open and let yeah. me let me kind of spew that for a second. I'm so it, it glad did, you it, shared that with me. It forever changed this podcast. I, I hope you I hope you know that. And that, I mean that. It's, it, you, you know, you never know. Like, I walked out of here never even thinking that anything like that would happen. And yeah. it's so interesting what um what life trajectories you have i'll tell you one other quick story i was in a uber um in denver a couple weeks ago i was going to miss my flight um i waited too long to call the uber and i get in it and i knew immediately that the guy that the driver like something was off and i was like oh he's high and uh, then, I, then as we were driving along, I was calling my mom. I was, we're being silly because I was going to be late, and she was with my son. And he kind of had this like little tick, and so I was like, "Oh, maybe he, you know, maybe he has like Tourette's or something like that." Which you know can I'm super sensitive to people's vibes or people's energy, so you know it can it, you can have a different vibe, yeah. right? And so um, anyway, we're driving, and and he decides to get on the toll roads. He's like, "I'm not going to. I'm going to make sure you don't miss your flight." And then pretty soon, you know, somehow drugs come up. And it always does. It's always amazing how, like, you know, I don't do it. I don't bring it up. But then somebody starts talking to me about substance abuse. And so he tells me this pretty crazy story. And I realize that, that he is actually high. And uh, and I get out of the car. And it's the first time I, like, he turned around and looked at me. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I get out. And I walk into DIA. And I said, why did you put me in this situation? And clear as day, I heard this wasn't about you. We didn't put you in that situation for you. And I have no idea of what, you know, some random Uber driver, some young kid whose life is a mess. And, but it just reminded me that not everything is about you in that moment. Yeah. Perhaps. Some of the stories that I shared with him and I, you know, I mean, I was like, okay, I was like, man, I'm giving you a lot of support. You know, here are some of the things that I learned as I was in, uh, recovering. Um, I wish you the best of luck. Like maybe, maybe, just maybe that conversation set his life in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful for that reminder of that situation was not about you. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's a spiritual practice. Who knows? It could be bullshit, right? But that's what I heard in that moment. And it gave me peace, even though I was in a pretty, you know, I didn't uncomfortable, probably potentially sure. dangerous situation that I can handle because I've been around the block a few times. Like I can handle pretty <laughs> much anything and I handled him well. Um, but just a great reminder that you never know what conversations you're going to have that could change people's lives. So thank you for sharing that story. And I really hope that your family, you and your parents just can work your way through it and develop right. this like great relationship. We'll be fine. We'll, uh, yeah, we, you know, yeah, it's always a process. It's, it's a, a journey. Process. That's what I was, that's all I can say is we're working on it. We gotta, all you can do. <laughs> gotta work all you can do. It, so. Uh, thank you, Carrie. We'll see yeah, you. Thank you. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Yeah.